0: Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 408. Data analysis is probably the most important thing you can do as a race car driver today, and it's so easy to do, and the barriers to entry are so low and so much lower than they used to be.
1: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah! Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. 2015 marks Covercraft's 50th anniversary. They've manufactured premium quality exterior and interior covers here in the United States with a reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit, with over 80,000 patterns and growing. You can choose from dozens of fabric options and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicle. Made in the USA, Covercraft is the right choice. I've protected my special rides with their covers for over 40 years, and you should too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. James Coburn is originally from the United Kingdom, who now resides in the United States. He's a racer who, after spending four years of high-performance driving events, came across a good friend named Don Kitch, who's also been here on Cars, yeah? The owner of Performance Racing School in Seattle, Washington. Don handed James the keys to a BMW E30 Pro 3 race car and said, take a few laps. James was hooked, and since then, he's raced all over the United States. The past two years, he's developed the new Spec E46 class on both the East and West coasts. He's competed at the professional level in the Continental Tire Series in the ST class with team Beamer World and Compass 360. So, James, I've told our listeners just a little bit about your racing and the fun that you're having in cars these days. Would you take a moment to share a little bit more about your racing, your passion for cars, and automobiles?
0: I think you summarized it pretty well. I, um, I've i never had the, uh, the the fortune of racing in the United Kingdom, but uh, since I moved to uh, the United States and then I moved to Seattle, I got hooked on, on being able to drive faster than the speed limit. Um, I think that was probably after quite a sizable fine uh on the highway oh <laughs> and uh yeah i haven't got a speeding ticket since i started racing which is good and maybe an indication of the fact that uh it's um such a, an amazing hobby and an amazing passion of mine I, I think that it defines so much about you know how i approach challenges how i approach you know many things in my life now that may not necessarily be racing based upon the things that i've learned and so i mean the the, the beauty of racing the thing i love is it's so tangible
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, you you compete against others. Time is is measured down to the thousands of a second, and any effort that you put in, um, if put in correctly, can generally tend to lead to improvement in performance. And so it's very, you know, binary in in relation to effort to uh, to to return. And so even though it's not necessarily that easy, and uh, you often see people with actual talent doing better than you do, it's one of those things where if you work really hard at it, you can actually see improvement, which is one of the things that I absolutely love. So, you know, the the the, the racing has offered me so much.
1: Well, you started with uh, Don Kitsch kind of got you going on this a little bit. And, you know, Don's up here in the Pacific Northwest. I went to his driving school. I've had the pleasure of knowing him for a long time. Tell our audience before we get into some of the questions, what happened with you guys that kind of launched you into this path of becoming a Pretty much semi-professional racer, right?
0: Yeah, you can call semi-professional if uh, if if being able to get to compete with actual professionals who school you every time you go out. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that's all part of it. If you can, uh, if 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 you can start doing well there, or you can at least compete, uh, it's good. So Don, uh, a good friend of mine, we I started in his school just like any student did. I, I bought a, I think I bought an Audi. It was an S4. Way back in two thousand five, and with it came a day at the track to be able to learn how to drive your car. Nice. And so uh, it was a day organised by Don and the local Audi dealership. Went there, and one of the biggest revelations at the end of it was the, you know, when he said, "Oh, by the way, you can return to the track with your street car and drive it. Um, you can drive it uh, whenever you want and come back and and qualify for our, our high performance school." I had no idea you could do that, and it was one of those things that sort of like uh, uh, was a huge revelation for me so i was like fantastic so i went back and continued doing that with don and i started getting sort of uh, involved in his team seattle charity effort as well and and uh and worked with him on that for many years especially while i was living in seattle and so you know it was it was after about four or five years it, you know he he threw me the keys to that that pro three and pro three is a class which which is phenomenal anyone who hasn't uh, necessarily had the chance of racing BMW E30s It's an absolute hoot and, and, and in the Pacific Northwest highly competitive and so I was terrible, absolutely dreadful. I drove a race car like a street car which anyone knows means the car will drive terribly and it'll feel like the worst car you've ever driven if you drive it that slow mm-hmm. but uh, I think there was just something with it which got me interested and, and you know thereafter I took the school of performance which gave you your novice license which then entitled you to Enter into a, a club weekend of which I started racing in the, in the, it's called uh, ICSCC uh, in the Pacific Northwest. It's really the biggest sanctioning body. And uh, since there, I haven't really sort of looked back. And unfortunately, uh, in many instances, it's, it's, even though I've moved, I should say fortunate, unfortunately, even <laughs> though I've moved all over the country now, I'm, I'm actually living on the East Coast. I still regularly fly back to the Pacific Northwest because the racing community turns into almost like a racing family. Yeah. And uh, it is so enjoyable to race with the people out there that it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a great place.
1: Well, I wanted you to walk through that because I wanted some of our listeners out there who think that there's no way they could ever get involved in racing, that there are ways to get involved. There's ways to get involved in many different levels, many different types of competition levels. There could be vintage racing, the kind of racing you're doing, SCCA. There's a lot of ways to get behind the wheel on the track and have some fun. You don't have to be a pro. You can go out there, and it really is a family. People will help you. Um, It is a great group of guys up here for sure, and I know we know a lot of the same guys over there at the track as well. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. This is something that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, and it's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? I know you love to drive, so James, take the wheel.
0: Thank you. I would say that uh, a racing quote, uh, is it a racing quote, is it any quote? This one is is arguably from Anonymous. I, I learned it from uh, a friend of mine. I believe his name was, uh, I know his name was Frank Greif, who was a fellow racer of mine and, and, and a coach. And uh, I believe that he may have learned it from Ross Bentley, who's one of uh, who's one of the coaches um, from the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. And um, in S sorry, can you hear that cat in the back?
1: <laughs> Just a little bit. I don't think it's going to bother <laughs> anybody.
0: No worries. So I'd say the quote that I know and the quote that sticks in my mind, especially with racing, is: "You have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable." Mm. And racing's a very easy way of interpreting that. The difference, oftentimes, with high performance lapping and racing, is that if you're only measuring yourself against yourself, just going round and round and round in these high performance days. Typically, what you find is that you get stuck into a groove and, you know, the, the the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting something to change. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, when someone said to me, you know, if you want to improve with racing, you're going to have to almost deliberately make mistakes to then peg it back, learn from that mistake and uh, and improve. And And so, you know, quotes that I used to, you know, people would say to me things like, you know, just drive into that corner a little bit too fast and do some understeer and the car won't turn and then you'll know how fast you can take that corner and then all of a sudden you'll peg it back a few miles an hour. And, and just to build up the courage and the confidence to be comfortable with that uncomfortable sense of you're losing control of the car a little bit to be able to then bring it back, mm-hmm. to then know how fast you can actually go was one of those moments where you just, you know, it takes a while. I think it's one of the biggest learnings in racing as well is, is, to, is to understand what the car is going to do. And make it do something rather than the car doing something that completely takes you by surprise. And so it's just that quote. And I think it's a quote that sticks in my mind because it's the same thing that applies to work. It's the same thing that applies to anything in your personal life. You have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What's that great quote? I think it was coined by Mario Andretti. If everything seems under control, you're not going fast enough. So uh, if he's the one that said that, but there's a lot to that in life as well. I love it. How about a story that instigated your passion for cars? Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy? I think there's a few
0: things. I think from a generation point of view, I'm the generation that has grown up with car posters on the wall. And being British motorsport was definitely something that was in your blood from a very early age. And so, you know, I, I lived in Kent and um, uh, in the UK, which is where Brands hatches. Mm -hmm. And there would be times when my father would take me to see uh, cars race there and and see all sorts of things there, not just cars. We saw huge trucks race and all sorts of stuff. And I think that, you know, Formula One is is definitely an institution there. It's one of the sort of most popular sports there is. And so I think I just grew up with cars and understanding it. And, and, you know, the moment I could get my hands on a driver's license, I did. And, you know, drove way too fast as a youngster at times and, and, you know, just started to understand. But I think that the thing with driving – that I like as much as necessary, the sensation of going fast is is being precise and accurate. I think that's one of the things. I mean, I've tried the rally driving. There's actually a school in Seattle or just outside Seattle. Yeah, Dirtfish. Yeah, I'm sure. Although you must admit, you talk to a rally driver, they say the same thing. It's all about precision and accuracy. I often find the car just sliding all over the place. It's a lot harder <laughs> to be able to get my head around accurate. But yeah. racing itself is, has an accuracy to it. And so I started to enjoy that. So I think it was the combination of, of sort of like um, whether it was social influences or personal influences that got me excited and interested in cars. And I think from then onwards, and I also think that cars are one of those things which are, you know, uh, works of art almost. I mean, people, oh, yeah. people say, no, they're not, you know, they, they're, they're just machines. But you know a well designed car that almost you know you know creates you know unrivaled desire is definitely something which you know you can you can appreciate so i think that uh, you know that's part of it too so it's a combination of many things it's uh, you know it's 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 always been in my blood i would say
1: <laughs> brilliant what i'd love to do now james is crawl into the hood and take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk a little bit about a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced along the way maybe there was a time with your Racing, you just said, you know what? This isn't just for me. But the more important part of this has to do with how did you overcome that situation? What did you learn from it?
0: You know, I think that there are lots of uh, everyone has has you know examples of where you know they've they've they faced adversity. I mean, I think one of the um, one of the the big areas of, of challenge that I faced. So this is interesting because it has nothing to do with racing, but it's actually helped <laughs> okay. me a lot. Is I decided to take on the endeavor of writing a book, hmm. which was amazing once it was done, but probably one of the hardest things that I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't sound like a real taxing type of effort, and 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 it was something which you know was was related to the field that I work in. I work in in digital advertising and, and marketing. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I thought was was a particularly sort of, you know, hugely challenging aspect of it. And I don't think people really think about this too much. But writing a book when you've got different moods means you write different. Mm. And some people appreciate that and some people don't. But when you're frustrated, when you're angry, when you're happy, when you're preoccupied, when you're distracted, you write differently. And so, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, we find that uh, you've got to be consistent in terms of how you work on things and you've got to make sure you work through, um, you know, different sorts of.
1: Uh Oh, it's a cat. Okay. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, yeah. Sorry.
1: Well, I've had many authors on Cars here and I've heard a lot of the same thing that some days you just get up and you just don't want to work on it, but you have to. You just have to persevere and, and work your way through it. And the way you described it was very interesting that your moods change daily, but the book has a tone that has to remain consistent. So how do you do that? What what kind of tricks or things do you do to to keep that going so you can finish that project?
0: I think the trick that I learned when I did it was read everything you've written regularly, mm. but read what you've written previously before you write the next paragraph, chapter, whatever you're working on, because that gives you an indication of, of what kind of tone and conversation you've been taking. It's almost like take a step backwards to be able to take a step forward. I found that if you just sort of, you know, got up and, and said, okay, I'm going to do this today. It was one of those situations where, you know, you, you, you found, well, has this anything to do with where I finished off yesterday and those sort of things? So it's, it's one of those things that I think is, is, relevant to everything that we do and I think the challenge was consistency and I think that that translates to everything that you do oftentimes you know inconsistency breeds opportunities for Things to go in the wrong direction, so
1: I think, that, and especially uh, on the racetrack, right? <laughs> for sure,
0: it's funny when you think about. I was just, I was just writing an article for this Speed Secrets Weekly, the the the, the publication that Ross Bentley. Ross
1: Bentley, together. he's been a guest here, yeah. It's a lovely fellow, and and and
0: so you know, we were talking about the the. the what well, I was talking about in this in this copy about the fact that you know, the the key to the successful drivers are the ones who are consistent. And it is no wonder that the ones who finish the race ahead of others don't always set the fastest lap time in one single sense. But they're the ones who can set a fast lap time. If it's a 30-minute sprint race at somewhere like Portland International Raceway, I mean, a minute 20 lap. It's the best thing can do 15 minute 20 laps in a row or 20 or how many it takes to be able to fill that half an hour. Um, versus those who have no idea how they did it, but all of a sudden they happen to have stumbled on a and fast lap and, and, and now can't repeat. And so, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that inconsistency is, is definitely, especially in racing, more than anything else, is probably the biggest deterrent to being successful. And I think that, you know, again, even in racing, it, it, it can have its downside. But if you find something and you're doing it right, the question is, is, can you do it right time and time again?
1: Time and time. Well, now, what's the title of the book you wrote? it's it's a very um dull uh,
0: name it's called search marketing strategies um it was designed for people who are using search engines to be able to promote their business oh cool okay
1: um, very interesting i love it yeah. well let's shift gears here james and go to the other end of the spectrum i'd love for you to share one of those career aha moments and if you'd like maybe this is an aha moment for you in your racing a time when the headlights came on and kind of illuminated your way for this new direction. This this new step you were going to take, and tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success.
0: I think that, you know, there are many of those sort of moments. I mean, I think that, you know, the the most important thing, whether it's been in business or whether it's been in racing, funny, I read these questions beforehand, I thought, oh, I'll definitely talk about that here. <laughs> and then the mind goes blank as soon as you, you know, it's like the person who has the camera and put in front of them, they go, don't say a word. I think the aha moment for me in business was definitely a realization of what you, you know, what your motivations are. And once you understand your motivations, making sure you map that with a role in a career that, 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 you know, gives you the opportunity to be able to fulfill those. Because if you're unfulfilled, whether it's at work or anything that you do, there's only a time span by which you can do it before all of a sudden you find yourself asking the questions as to why am I actually doing this? Mm-hmm. And I think that, the same thing can apply in racing i think that one of the things that people don't appreciate is that if you race cars your motivations for going to the racetrack are probably pushed in a direction of positive and negative as much as any type of experience that you can have you know that moment when you're in a position to win a race, and a power steering pump fails, which then in turn rips off the cooling belt, which means that you have a lap before your engine explodes, and yeah. <laughs> you can't win. You you you. So I've spent all weekend. I've got myself in a position to be able to do well here. I find myself in a podium finish, and all of a sudden, this has been snatched from me, and you go home glum and miserable, and look at you know whether I can do this. And then the other side is is whether it's a masochistic tendency. I don't know, but I often have friends who I've you know who I've met and, and, you know, enjoy racing with who are professional. And so they'll get in the same car as you and they'll turn lap times that'll just make your eyebrow raise. And you'll be like, God, how do they do that? This is the (laughs) most frustrating thing in the world. But I think the thing is, is that you need to appreciate, I think people need to appreciate the racing progression goes in steps. It's not linear. So you don't start out terrible and then you get brilliant over time. You know, I think that some people are lucky enough to have that innate talent to be brilliant almost immediately. And I think that those end up, you know, racing professionally and, and racing in, in many areas. But for, for, for people like me who started late, um, you know, you go through waves of progression and sometimes you sink a little bit and sometimes you, you gain a little bit. And so I think that you've got to really understand your your, your motivation and whether you want to be able to do this.
1: Yep, exactly. You've got to wanna. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, exactly.
0: To be able to see through the rough and and there are rough moments with racing and it's not supposed to be glo- gloom and doom because it's not bloody brilliant, but you know, <laughs> I think that uh you know, it is important to be able to appreciate that you have really got to understand why you do it and I think that this this is going to sound absurd, but you know, people don't race to go fast. People don't always race to be a race winner, I mean we've had people who you know have just been content with racing, so you have to ask yourself why you do it and for many, the motivation is being able to be out there and driving a car with my friends and having fun and, and having a good time for others it's you know, it's continue to improve and find ways, just like I articulated, you know, this, is, this is my motivation, is to be able to find ways to continue to find self-improvement. Right. And racing gives you that opportunity to do so. Plus, it's a ton of fun and you even get to race with your friends as you do it. But if you don't know why you're doing it, then the question is off as to why you do. So I think that's the aha moment. Business, pleasure, racing, whatever you do. You've got to understand why you're doing it. Otherwise, you know, you start questioning what you're doing.
1: Perfect. How about proudest career moment? Is there one in particular that stands out for you that you could share with us today?
0: I think in business, there are, there are, there are many, I mean, it, it's, it's funny. I, I usually find in business seeing, you know, the people that I'm working with succeed is probably the most proudest moment that I have, especially people who, 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 you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have on my team. I think that one of the proudest sort of, it's a semi-business, semi-racing moment, which is interesting. I, I was, as I said earlier on, I, I, you know, partnered with, you know, Don Kitsch for his Team Seattle efforts. Mm-hmm. And, um... I think that one year we um, we found ourselves in a situation where fundraising was 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 you know pretty tricky, and and you know it was during during economic tough times, and so we're sort of scratching heads as to how do we want to raise money, and and we created this program called Buy a Heart, Save a Life. Mm. While we couldn't, you know, we weren't in a position to be able to find people who previously may have generously donated ten thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, whatever the number was those opportunities had dried up and, and, the, and it was a concept of, can we actually get, you know, critical mass? So we created this little sticker it looked like a heart, but it had a face on it. And, uh, we, we sold it online. There were $50 each. It was a, it was a charitable donation to, to team Seattle, mm-hmm. but that heart stuck on the car. Mm-hmm. And the <laughs> idea was, was that the car would then race a Daytona with a collage of these hearts that would then represent one giant heart that was on the car. Wonderful. And, you know, we did it, and, and it was it was a really sort of successful program. And it was one of those things that it sort of led into a to a personal sort of racing goal that I had. I wanted to race for Team Seattle. I thought it was one of those that was fun, and they always did Daytona. Now, I didn't do the 24-hour, but this is I was starting to get into understanding the Continental Tire. So we did the same Buy a Heart, Save a Life program, um, but in the Continental ST race uh, that was at Daytona. And, and you know, there's, there's pictures that you can see on my website and, and places where... There's a Honda Civic driving around the banking of, uh, of, of Daytona with me behind the wheel with, uh, with with a collage of hearts making up one giant heart on the car, which was very cool. So these these are the things that, that you know, make me very proud because I've been able to sort of tie together uh, business acumen with an absolute love of racing to be able to good to, to, to do good, which mm-hmm. has been pretty cool.
1: Brilliant. I love it. I remember that year of that that whole program and that process there really was a brilliant idea that you guys came up. with. It was great. Let's have a little bit of fun here. Uh, tell me a little bit about your first really special vehicle. Oh, that's easy. That's my E30
0: Pro 3 car. It was. It, was, it ties together. You know. Um. Uh, you know. Questions that are coming up. I'm sure you're going to ask later on. But, so I. I. I went through high performance. You know. I think I got to the point where I was owning a Porsche and driving around the track like a fool. <laughs> um, poorly, I would probably imagine at the time. And. Um, you know, there would be these 1990, you know, E30s driving around the track and just decimating the field. And you'd think, well, that car can't be that fast in a straight line because that's how you think oftentimes. You're like, well, clearly my car
1: is way yeah, faster. Yeah, it's a big brick. <laughs> you know,
0: but it was, um, you know, it was um, one of those situations where, you know, you're like, okay, so that's that Pro 3 car they got into. So I bought one. And it became my friend. And I think that oftentimes when you ask somebody about their first car, you know, their the race car or their first race car was almost like an extension of themselves as a friend, especially if they loved it as much as I did with mine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we developed it over time and got it to a point where it was, you know, a, a very competitive Pro 3 car and I'd fought my way through, you know, the back of the pack to the front of the pack and, and, and was sort of podium finishes and, and those sort of things, which was nice. And so, you know, it was the first and, and probably the most memorable car um that i will i will have uh ever owned cool and, uh, <laughs> very cool desperately sad to see it go
1: yeah those uh those guys up here the pro 3 man they are aggressive gr- group great fun group uh, we mentioned uh, lance richard we both know and a bunch of the other guys there as well so very cool car well you just said the other words to my next question is that seller's remorse is there one vehicle that you've let go that you really wish you had back in the garage I think that's the car. That's the car, yeah. That is the car. (laughs) But
0: I've got to be honest. It went to a great home of somebody who's just getting into Pro 3 racing. Cool. And it's nice to see it. They painted it, which you know, was, was, was good because, you know, one of the problems you have with buying somebody else's car is that unless you paint it and make your own, everyone's like, Oh yeah, you're driving James's car or you're driving yeah. so-and-so's car. Yeah. So they changed it up and they painted it up and I don't recognize it how it used to be anymore, which is kind of nice. But deep down inside, when you stick your head inside, you know, all the bits and pieces and yep. buttons and tiles and, and grommets. So yeah. yeah, that's the one that I have. Um, but you know, that being said, you know, we've replaced it with a particularly interesting class. And so I'm not, um, you know, I'm not that sad.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about this new class, because I always ask my guests at this point in the show about new projects that have you really excited and fired up. And I mentioned when I introduced you this new spec E46 class. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's talk about spec E46. It it was created by two gentlemen on the East Coast, Jason Tower and Evan Levine, both who are the founders of the class. We saw it written on paper, and and you know we all had a mutual friend and a, and, a, and a guy called James Clay, who's the president of BMW, um, who yeah. raced professionally and also provides you know um, a lot of uh, a lot of the automotive parts that us BMW drivers use. And James
1: um, is going to be a guest here on Cars Yeah coming up. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah he's uh, he's got way better
0: stories than I have. <laughs> but uh, he he races a lot with me, and he's he's been a he's been a great friend, and so. You know, we heard about it, and another guy called Dan Rogers, who was racing with Bimworld at the time, a really good friend of mine, who we pretty much, you know, one of, one of you know, you have racing buddies, and so we, we do a lot of racing together, said, have you heard about this? And, and it was a concept based upon the E46 330 3 Series. Hmm. It was, you know, fast enough to be competitive, but not necessarily a car that was so cross-prohibitive like the M3 would have been with the engines and the components that it would have made a really expensive class. You could pick up donor cars for next to nothing. So we, we, I think my first one that we built, Dan and I built the first one together with a sort of a gamble that said, should we do this? And should we do it in the Pacific Northwest so we can build out the class on the East, uh, the West Coast as they're doing on the East? Mm-hmm. So we picked up a donor, I think, for 2200. James Clay of built it for us. And For the first year, we started working on it, and some started to, to be developed on the on the on the West Coast. Grip Racing, Charles Hurley built one, um, which uh, was nice because we had the very first Specky Forty Six race was or well, competitive race was actually on the West Coast in the Pacific Northwest. And so we built this class out. And so at the end of the year, Dan said, "All right, one of us buy a, a, each other out of this car, and let's build two. We'll build one each." And so you know, I you know effectively bought him out of. Um, of, uh, or he bought me out of the first one and, and you can, uh, you know, n- n- guess what happened next? I built, I built my next car. I sold my Pro 3 <laughs> car, the yeah. best friend that I ever had in car terms oh, to be wow. able to do this. So it was quite a gamble. And so we built this out. And so now we're probably 60 strong in the, in the, in across the US. And, uh, it's an amazing car to be able to, to drive because the nice thing is for, for men, for some of us who want to be able to continue developing the, 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 the beauty of the E30 is that, and the Pro 3 car is, it's 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 as crude as you can probably get um, in relation. Maybe a bit like a vintage car, which is probably one of the reasons they <laughs> they've started crop up in vintage races now. Is that um, yeah. you know there's no ABS or we turn the ABS off on purpose. You know there's no power steering. Uh, there's just basically driver, three pedals, gear ge- gear changer, and a steering wheel. Yeah. And 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 that's it. And so you know we we you know that was that was great. Now you could do a lot of setup changes, which I think is probably one of the biggest you know learning things you could do as a driver but the E46 has got different things it's got ABS which is functional you can use to your advantage when you race it's got power steering so you have to get used to driving with your eyes because you're getting less feedback through the steering wheel mm. it's funny you know the advice you give someone in an E46 instead of a, uh, an E30 is that if you're not used to it you're going to you're going to see understeer before you feel it you know and it's one of those things where if you don't drive with your eyes you know you you know you're not going to you're not going to do very well in this car because the feedback through the steering wheel is going to feel consistent regardless of how tight you turn that wheel and how fast you're going. So, sure. you know, it's one of those things that helps me, for example, develop a new set of skills on top of what we learned in the E30, which is a really good transferable skill um, if you're ever to get back in behind the wheel of, of one of these more modern continental tire SD cars, yeah. which have got a lot more of these modern features. So, yeah, great class and growing.
1: Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, I've had two 46 E46- BMWs. I've got one right now. They've all been M3s, but uh, lovely cars. I had E36. I've never had an E30, although I've driven one. But it um, uh, sounds like a wonderful class. Sounds like a lot of fun, a lot of different things, a lot of the same things. So I wish you guys all the best success. That's a big group of guys, 60 plus guys. So that's great. Sounds like it's off to a super start. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, James. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? <laughs>
0: oh i thought about this and i just found it so difficult to answer i think i would probably be uh having thought about this a little bit i think it's uh it's it's a tough one it's it's you know it's a type of car it's like the original mini cooper s or it's like um you know um, uh, uh, a vw gti or or a or a bmw m3 something Mm. that is almost understated because i am the you know highly unlikely to be the shoutiest look at me type of sort of person i i'm you know i think by by uh by default being british slightly understated in 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 sort of many ways uh (laughs) very proper exactly and so you know but at the same time want to have substance and and so i want to make sure that people don't feel that uh you know any time spent with me is 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 uh is is un- Sorry, that's the best way to describe it so that sounds very conceited it's so like you know, <laughs> the minute you spend with me is amazing and it should be and you should really appreciate that
1: well I would sure hope so <laughs> you get what I'm saying it's sort yeah. of like I think
0: I want to be one of those cars that you know is is you know you pull up at the traffic lights and somebody looks over they don't think twice and all of a sudden then they're like okay well you know this there's is something this is there there's something there and yeah. I, I think that's important I, I you know I want people to uh, to understand who I am from meeting me, not necessarily because I'm driving around or walking around saying I'm the greatest.
1: There you go. That's why I like that question. Yeah, I mean, you answered it very well. I appreciate that. So James, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars yeah sponsor. Metrovac has been manufacturing and providing quality automotive vacuums and blowers since 1939. I've used their portable vacuum and blowers for over 15 years in my garage, on my cars, motorcycles, around my home, and you should too. Their Air Force Master Blaster Revolution is my go-to tool every time I wash and detail my vehicles. Powered by two twin-fan 4.0 peak horsepower motors, the Master Blaster delivers up to 58,000 feet per minute of clean, warm, dry, filtered air. Dry your car without a towel and avoid those nagging micro-scratches. Perfect for the wheels, engines, motorcycles, and all those frustrating water traps in trim, door jams, and seals. Check out all of MetroVac's quality products, deliberately made better in the USA. MetroVac is the right choice. Learn more today at MetroVac.com. Use discount code carsya 20 and you'll get 20% off your first order. That's right, 20% off. Details at carsyacom slash sponsors. Okay, James, we're back and we're entering the last lap. You're a racer. You know what that means. The white flag is out. Time to put our foot into it. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Yep. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received?
0: Make the car do something versus making the car
1: Versus reacting
0: to something you didn't anticipate.
1: Mm, yes, definitely Stay in control. Will you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success over the years?
0: Yeah, it's uh it's very apt for 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 racing because I do a lot of data work and work a lot with so the Aim Sports um is uh you know um data cures a lot of argument.
1: Um
0: <laughs> and uh and you know back up your statements and back up your uh back up your um, position with facts. Yep. And so uh yeah
1: way to go how about a resource I know there are many out there these days but is there one in particular that you really enjoy that you'd like to share with our listeners
0: yeah I I like um, I like Ross Bentley's work I think his speed secrets weekly uh, weekly magazine which is an email which I think costs next to nothing yep um In relation to a book, is a, is a fantastic place to go because it arrives every Tuesday morning, usually when I'm sitting on the train wanting to read something. So, yeah, it's a great resource.
1: Yeah, Ross, as I mentioned, has been a guest here. I get his weekly emails. They're really great advice. Uh, even for someone like me, I'm not on the track as much as I used to be. It's still fun to read, think about what he's saying. And it's nice to know that now I'm talking to another guy that's a contributor there. So I feel even better. <laughs> How about a book? Is there one book in particular that you think our listeners would really enjoy reading?
0: Yeah, I do. There's one book in particular. It's called Performance Thinking. It's by a coach friend of mine. His name is Jacques Delair. Hmm. I met him. He was Patrick Dempsey's um, racing coach when hmm. we went out with Team Seattle to Le, uh, to Le Mans and um, met him. And he's got some really easy ways of being able to break down challenges that make you think, you know, um, that the challenges you're facing, especially in racing, where it's you know, anxiety is often through the roof, is hmm. uh, is a really good resource to be able to work with.
1: Awesome, great. Well, I'll remind our listeners that you can find. All these great resources that James has shared with us at KarsYah.com slash James Coburn. And his last name is spelled C-O-L-B-O-R-N. There's also another great place on the carsyad yeah website called Guest Recommended Books, where this book and all the other books recommended by the past guests on carsyad yeah are there for a quick, easy click to buy so you can enjoy those books. All right, James, we are up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car, and I'll include collector race car, like a vintage race car, in your garage. But money is no object. I'll buy you whatever you'd like today. Because, you know, Christmas is tomorrow. What would that one vehicle be and why? Uh, I'd like um, Paddy
0: Hotkirk's Mini Cooper S from the Monte Carlo Rally.
1: Ooh, okay. What is it about that car that you love so much?
0: I just think that it's sort of uh it's it was it's such an iconic car. It's one of those, um you know, it's one of the most um important cars in British automotive history. Um and I just think they're tons of fun. And so yeah.
1: <laughs> I had a a uh, neighbor when I was in college whose roommate had one and I was living in uh, Pacific Beach, California, and his neighbor gave me a ride up to Mount Soledad. Anybody that knows San Diego, La Jolla, knows the windy road that goes up to the top of Mount Soledad where the Beautiful cross sits up there. Oh, my gosh. That was my first time in a Mini Cooper. I, I thought I was going to die. I couldn't believe how that car could go around corners. It was just incredible. Very a good choice, my friend. I love it. Well, James, you have taken me on a great ride around the track today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey in racing with myself and with the listeners Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Mini Cooper S?
0: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. First, thank you so much for having me on your show. Um, Really appreciate it. It's uh, it's always nice to talk to people about racing. I think any racer would love to talk about racing at any given moment in time. Parting thoughts. I'm new school in many respects to racing, and so I find that data analysis is probably the most important thing you can do as a race car driver today, and it's so... Easy to do and the barriers to entry are so low and so much lower than they used to be. To be able to answer questions that you often face, like, um, you know, if you're, if you're a racer and you're driving around the track, is there ever a moment when you've gone, how did I set that lap time last time around? I can't repeat that. Or have you ever gone slower in a corner than you've ever gone before? Cause there's a lap car in front of you and all of a sudden you put in a great lap time. I think the most important thing that you have is, is the question of why. And so, you know, data is cheap. Data is uh, is all telling. And I think that it's one of those things that, you know, is available to all. And so if you want to improve as a driver, I would really, really recommend you think about investing in um, in some data analysis, because, you know, for me, it's been one of the most important things and one of the easiest ways of me being able to find areas of improvement as a race car driver.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn a little bit about you or learn more about the racing series that you're involved in? Uh the easiest way is uh I have a I have a website/blog
0: slash blog. it's it's very simple it's www.jamescoven.com and uh I I'm sure you can throw that link into the maybe the bio on yes on on the page the um that'll show a little bit more about the there's listings there about the car that I raced there's a lot of information about data analysis um a little bit of uh of of the occasional blog post um, about some experience that I've had um recently with racing and uh yeah it also has contact information should you need any more um, you know pearls of wisdom especially on the data front um, there you go I get a lot of questions about that so I'm happy to help.
1: Awesome great well listeners you can find links to everything we've talked about today here at Cars Yeah just type James into the search bar and his show notes page will pop right up. James thank you again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and and for sharing your experiences on the track with our listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up!